0: we have the opportunity to really embrace our longevity. Booming, the podcast, offers insights and inspirations about how all of us can age successfully, how all of us can boom. My name is Marcus Riley. Welcome to Booming. When you think of inspiring Australians, Maggie Beer is one name that readily comes to mind. Maggie has, through her passion for food and life, forged a tremendously successful career and shared with the world her expertise so others can benefit. In this conversation, Maggie shares her approach to life and living and the joy of cooking with your grandkids. Please enjoy this time with the wonderfully inspiring Maggie Beer. Maggie, welcome to the the booming podcast. It's a genuine pleasure to have you with us today. So thank you for making the time to be part of the conversation and I'm sure our listeners will very much look forward to hearing your wisdom and and your insights. So thank you for being with us. Yes, yeah. I want to start by talking about the importance of food and meals to our health and happiness, particularly as we age. And indeed, Maggie, you have been and continue to be a champion, an advocate and a teacher really in regards to the link between food and our health and happiness. Why is that link so important for all of us?
1: Well, firstly, it's for the whole of our life that it is important. But as we age, I suspect it gets a lot more important. But if we have a good food life all our life, it's just part of a much more rounded and full life. And it prepares you better physically and and emotionally because if you've had a good food life, you've had a sharing of the table as well and a joy for food. Food should not be fueled. Food is something that can bring people together in the best of way and connect them to the land. I'm lucky enough to live in the country. And so for me, food is all about whatever is in season and nothing is better than that. So it gives you health. It gives you joy, it gives you the pleasure of sharing, it gives you the antioxidants and the protein and all the things you need for your body, and um, it's just a, a lay-down <laughs> <laughs>
0: You You made the point about the connection we can feel through sharing a meal. Are the particular reflections you have through phases of your life where that was particularly evident and, and you reflect on on those connections and what you drew from those experiences or those times?
1: I guess you have to, um, I'm going to go back to my childhood and I'm, I'm 75 now, but I was brought up in a time when everything had to be made from scratch and that sort of was that very beginning that has extended to all of my life. But it was also right back to my Earliest memories of childhood, any special occasion was a food celebration. And it was simple food, but everything was done with this love of food and bringing people together. Every Christmas, every birthday, food and celebration go together. So I had a really amazing food life, and I wasn't aware that it wasn't everyone's life. And so it really cemented my philosophy around food. And so (laughs) everything in my life seems to be about food, but not just food, by the way.
0: With that point of sharing the meal, sharing the food, is such a great way for us to celebrate and to come together. And you write and speak a lot very passionately about the connection of meals and food to moments. Yeah. How do we best do that and what do you see, uh, I guess, coming first? Is it, is it the moment or the occasion which helps us connect and enjoy the food and the, the meal experience more or can it be the other way around where the food and the meal can create itself and create the occasion? Oh, I think
1: itself? absolutely Both. I think um, the special occasions, you know, demand to have beautiful food, but beautiful food can just be part and parcel of deciding something is lovely and and asking your friends over at the last moment and it it becomes a celebration. But this all comes back to feeling confident about cooking. I, I often think people are scared of cooking and if you can show them the way, it opens their lives enormously. Cooking should not be a chore, and it often is if it's relegated to one person with young children and no help in a household, you know, that's where things go wrong. So the way of making a difference is everyone in a family has to be involved. When I say has to be, should want to be, but um, sometimes they need the ideas of how it can make a difference. Once you know the difference that growing and cooking and sharing can make. Everyone wants to be part of it and it sets it sets children up for life if they're involved right from the start. But let cooking never be a chore. That's my motto. It never has been for me and it never will be.
0: And, and it's a great motto and the concept of it being a chore or perhaps the motivation to create and, and to invest time sometimes does become more challenging as we get older and particularly if the home isn't as full as it used to be of of other family members and it may just be two people or even a person on their own, how best can an individual or or a couple continue to embrace that cooking experience so that they are benefiting in the best way possible from that food and meal experience as they continue to age?
1: Well, let's take the couple and the single as a separate issue. Um, For a couple, it's still holding the fact that having that time before the meal, having that sharing of putting the meal together in our household. Colin doesn't cook at all, but, oh, sorry, that's not quite fair, very occasionally, but he, he is so happy to be there as I cook and do whatever that I ask. And I cook and he cleans up, which is the great thing. But for us, a meal is always sitting in our outside of our kitchen. We have a little sort of sunroom, if it's just the two of us. And it's an occasion. Every meal is something that we sit and talk over. We never deny the fact that it's time to enjoy that. But It will never be that enjoyable if only one person is doing all the work, by the way. I just, I can't imagine a meal not being special between two people who want to be together. Now, cooking for one is the hardest thing. I realize that. I have a great friend who, food is so important that she has as much of a celebration about cooking for one as she did when she was a couple. But that is quite rare. So what there needs to be is that that stepping out of your comfort zone and having your neighbour sharing. Perhaps one night one does something, uh, a, a dish, and the next night the neighbour does something. We need companionship so much that if you are just a household of one, somehow you have to have the confidence to step out of that and share several times a week, but still see still see the meal as an important pleasure and not sitting in front of the TV fine if you're eating alone I would have a book in front of me but I still revel in that meal
0: sure I think that's a great um, a great piece of advice and an opportunity if we are living on our own that the meal can be a great connection point with someone living around us, and and uh, help us continue to socialise, help us continue to to be engaged, and uh, use that medium of the meal to to connect and and really foster relationships, and and at the same time, as you said, continuing to enjoy a meal experience and all the benefits that come through that. So it's it's it, a great point.
1: There's something else though I've just thought about, and that is. Um, I guess we're lucky we live in the Barossa and we're surrounded by our grandchildren as well and um, um, grandchildren come over um, on a one-on-one sometimes or all together without their parents and that's the best thing sometimes. (laughs) Um, But um, one of the great things about being a grandparent is that, Each grandchild is so different. You have the chance to foster something special about one particular grandchild that can come and have dinner with you or make dinner for you, you know, as they get older, but that's the loveliest thing is each is different and each has something that we have that special connection with Um, and it's always around food okay but it's food and music and literature and poetry and all of those things but food is kind of like the starting point.
0: Yeah again it's a wonderful example of how those relationships those moments are fostered and shared and they're things that both the grandparent and the grandchild look back on with great fondness and and can continue to reminisce about together and and build on that. It's a wonderful example. Maggie, you made the point before about the advantages of being connected to the land through food. And as you mentioned, you're on a a property in in South Australia there. For those who are in more urban areas, how can they find that connection Uh themselves?
1: Well, I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney in Greenacre, right? That couldn't have been more urban, although in those days it, um, it wasn't as settled and it wasn't nearly as interesting. And, in fact, the, the diet was normally meat and three veg in most of everyone in the community except for us in that um, we, um, <laughs> we sought out food because my father was passionate about it. So, but the food was there if you looked for it, but we always had a garden. We always had a garden. And the only herb we ever had was curly parsley. Can you imagine that? Curly parsley was the only herb. But we had vegetables, but there was also, you know, there there still is the green grocer where that's where you see what is in season once you care about food you can find it even in the most urban arenas but you've got to have a starting point don't you you have to have a starting point Um, but growing something even if it's an apartment where you're growing pots of herbs what the difference some fresh basil over your tomatoes makes um, some lemon thyme some rosemary when you're cooking a piece of meat it doesn't matter how urban that you are, that is available to you. And just seeking what is around you. But, okay, first you've got to know that it's going to make a difference.
0: And you've created a theme as well, I think, in terms of investing time, that the meal preparation, the enjoyment of the meal, and then just talking about the sourcing of ingredients and supplies. It's if we stop rushing when it comes to food and, and to meals, we will be able to identify and, and access those opportunities for better produce, better connection to the land, and, and then ultimately to the, the food and meal experience.
1: Okay, but and that is true. But if you have a really good pantry, and if you have some fresh herbs, if nothing more than that, and There is an issue of planning here. It doesn't particularly take time. I often say you can turn into a beautiful meal in 20 minutes rather than go down to the supermarket, wait to go around the supermarket through the checkout or go to the fast food and come home. You could have made something for scratch. It doesn't take time. It takes thought and planning because I'm talking really simple food, you know, food as a celebration can be something like sourdough bread and the last of the tomatoes squeezed over it, olive oil and salt and pepper, and that's a celebration. So don't think that celebration means fancy. Celebration means caring, the quality of the produce, the seasonality of the produce, the flavour of the produce. You know, it's not, it's not about restaurant food. I'm talking about home cooking.
0: Sure. I'm writing all this down as you're speaking. Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've done extensive work and, and indeed you've in some ways made it a personal mission to link research of nutrition's impact on brain health and, and general well-being. Yes. And that extensive involvement with that. Are there particular findings from that research that have struck you the most?
1: Yes, I've been lucky enough to work with Professor Ralph Martins, and we did this book together, Recipes for Life. And that's why I say it's for all of your life, what good food does to protect our brain against dementia. I've been lucky that I had that great food grounding, and that I have never used preservatives, even in my commercial food life. And Very little sugar because I have a sour palate. So I've had all of those things that happen naturally for me. I didn't have to work at that. So I guess I've been, I'm an incredibly lucky person in so many ways. But the things that I learned from Ralph are the strength of antioxidants that lies in the freshness of food. In the value of herbs and spices, I had never put a thought to. I'd just taken it for granted with herbs, but spices have huge antioxidant properties. The importance of the gut and good gut health to brain health, like the gut is our second brain, and that food is the most important part of the equation perhaps, but without exercise and mental stimulation and connectedness, it has to be the whole. Food is the center of the plate, but without all those other things. And all of that makes great sense to me, but having it reaffirmed and given a scientific base for it is is quite encouraging.
0: Maggie, I want to come back to some of those learnings in, in a short while and, and particularly in regards to the work of your foundation and the inspiring work you're doing there. But before doing that, if, if we could talk a little about your own successful aging and your your aging journey, because you are an inspiration. Your previous winner of the Senior Australian of the Year Award, you continue to make a major impact to your local region as well as to society more broadly. So from a distance, it seems you have perfectly executed a plan to to flourish and, and thrive as you've moved through different phases of your life. Have you planned a lot as you've journeyed through different phases of your life?
1: I've never planned a thing. <laughs> uh, I've never planned a thing, uh, but I've loved every part of the journey and um, and I'm incredibly lucky in that I, I use luck again in that um, I have such a strong, strong relationship and I'm surrounded by a lot of love. The luck was being born, I guess, with a great deal of energy I have a huge amount of energy, and I guess I could put that to my lifestyle, the fact that I've always eaten so well all my life, but I also, <laughs> I'm also i also very lucky that I inherited my mother's positive nature, that joy in the world, and I have, other than food and this love of food and, and family, I have such a love of, of music and literature and poetry that has broaden my life so I just have so many things to be thankful for and life's not always easy I can tell you but if I think about it I am very lucky.
0: I guess in the um, the absence of that planning you, you've certainly adapted and whether it's to different circumstances or whether it's particular opportunities throughout your life and you haven't always been involved with food on a professional basis. You've been a lift driver in New Zealand. You've worked on the desk in the US Embassy and at Sydney University. I think you had an involvement with light aircraft at some stage. And as you said before, you moved from the big smoke of Sydney to the Barossa region. So you've obviously had to and have adapted at many different stages through your life, and no doubt in, in more recent years as well. Are there particular personal traits or approaches that you believe have enabled you to adapt and adjust to those opportunities and different circumstances?
1: Yes, um, I really believe there are, because I left school at 14 because my parents lost their business and were bankrupt and we lost everything. But I found at a very early age that you just do what you need to do and you have grit. If you have a positive nature, I love to learn. I've never stopped learning. And I've done so many things, I've traveled so much, but I've always, I haven't planned it, but I've taken opportunities that are exciting and I've loved the journey. I've never waited till I could be happy. And therefore having grit, having, having energy and, and finding joy in life and learning have been the things that, <laughs> things that keep me going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, the positivity you spoke about before, how do you feel that positivity for yourself? How do you feed it?
1: Well, there are many things that go wrong in life, but I've always been able to find something out of something going wrong. I mean, in business or let's take in business. When something went wrong, I could always find there was some learning that was positive out of it. And I don't want, I'm not a Pollyanna, but that's how I always grew. And then some things knock you that you think you'll never get up from. There are so many reasons too that you need to.
0: Absolutely. That opportunity to learn from times when things do go wrong. How have you done that? Is that taking time to reflect? Is it a particular practice or methodology that you may have used in the past? Is it just a, an ingrained approach to things?
1: It's really an ingrained approach to things. Having left school at 14, as I said, I was never educated in the formal way. And yet I've always been a quick thinker, and it was always my particularly with my team uh, around me, it was a source of pride always that I could find something out of it to keep them going, which kept me going too. It's a bit of a family thing that um, we all have lateral minds. So there are always ideas that spring out of things that happen. I'm very annoying to people because I'm not particularly logical. I'm just, (laughs) I can always find this other way. Well, most always find this other way of, I'm not the reflective type, I'm the thinking outside of the square doing type. So it is ingrained.
0: Be sure to check out earlier episodes of Booming. For example, do go back to episode one and catch up on the conversation with the inspirational Ronnie Kahn. Ronnie shares her own story, giving wonderful advice along the way about how to live with purpose and having a positive attitude. That's episode one with Ronnie Kahn. Maggie, obviously as we age, having a, a sense of purpose is vital to stay engaged with life, and, and clearly you've had a rich engagement with life and continue to do so. How do you envisage maintaining your sense of purpose into the future as you continue to look at things, different opportunities, different times?
1: Oh, well, I, I don't see myself ever retiring uh, because um, I don't see myself – It's it's not working, it's doing things I love – oh, my gosh, I have so much to do that I want to do. I have so much to be involved in and I don't see that ever changing.
0: And a, a little birdie told me that you're quite the dancer. Are you creating opportunities to display your dancing skills often enough at the moment?
1: I do do that. I'm not sure my body is up to what I love to do now, but um, uh, give me music and I love to dance. Uh, <laughs> It's all about joy, isn't it? But music is my great joy. I have a choir and it's very important to my
0: life. Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask you about the choir and can you tell us a bit about the purpose of that initiative and, and how it was established?
1: Oh, well, it was established just before my 60th birthday, in that, um, just with friends, we would have dinner together and Sometimes it used to relegate to the boys' one end and the girls' another end, as sometimes Australian parties do. And so we we used to have fun singing. And I said one day, look, I want to do more of this. I came from a very musical family, but I hadn't ever sung. And I have a beautiful piano and a music room here at Well, a, a room that's been turned into a music <laughs> room at home. And so every Wednesday night we meet here and we have an amazing, we've had a series of teachers, but the last 10 years we've had a truly amazing teacher who was the senior jazz teacher at the conservatorium and, you know, a star in her own right. And she still loves coming to us. Then there's about 17 of us. and. The, the joy of singing is just one of the great joys in life. So no matter how tired I am, it just energises me and, and it's a companionship as well, but it's music.
0: That sounds wonderful to be involved with. Maggie, I was keen to get your views on ageing more broadly. My view is that the increased longevity that most of us are going to enjoy is one of humanity's greatest triumphs, yet we constantly have this ageism permeating across society. We have a lot of stereotypes about what it means to be an older person or to age. So I'm interested in, in how you're observing our approach to ageing at the moment, both from a societal perspective as well as people individually.
1: Well, certainly ageism is rampant in society. You know, you you see uh, something in the newspaper and they'll say, grandmother, instead of talking about the woman herself. Look, it's right through, there is a stereotype. And I want to bash down those walls, because it's just, it's so wrong, because not only is there so much to contribute at every age, society needs this intergenerational pool of learning from each other and being connected to each other. So, It's there, how do we break it down? We break it down with being positive about aging and I'm certainly positive about aging and all my friends, um, perhaps I'm a little bit older than a lot of them, but they've all just turned 70 and you know, we go walking the Camino trails in in Europe. We do everything that we might've done 20 years ago. We have a little more time now, or most of us, um, I'm not sure I do, but I'm making more time now. So why is it not changing? I don't know. We have to fight it.
0: Absolutely. And from an individual perspective, for people who are impacted by those stereotypes and the negativity that surrounds getting older, what's your advice to people on an individual basis who who are getting older themselves and, and are confronted with this negativity and this ageism? How can Absolutely. they develop a positive outlook themselves?
1: Well, I've always thought there are two things that are really important, and that's loving what you do, whether you're doing it for yourself or someone else. And everybody needs something meaningful to do. And when you think of all the opportunities to be involved in life, and I don't want to minimize this, but going and doing something for somebody else takes you out of whatever mundane existence you might have given yourself because you feel that that's what society expects of you. Doing something for someone else is the first step of involvement. And involvement and focus is is what everyone needs. And a spring in your step, doing something for yourself as well. Like, you know, it sounds silly, but as a woman, I can say treating myself. (laughs) It's a really good way to feel good about yourself.
0: <laughs> sure, but you're so right. That act of, of doing something for somebody else—it really fuels that sense of purpose as well, that sense of engagement.
1: Yes. Also, I know if it's work that you want, and I know how much stability and loyalty can come from an older applicant in the job searching market, but often. To be open to that, you also need to do some extra training. Don't think because you're 60 or 65 that you shouldn't still be learning something. Learning something is involvement with, with your brain but also can lead you to another path. We can't just accept that we're not of an age that we understand technology, for instance. you know, We need to embrace it for what we need of it. Don't sit on your bot and <laughs> do nothing. No,
0: that's a great piece of advice. Don't sit on your bot. We might have to um, use that in the promotion, I think, for this <laughs> podcast, Maggie. Um, do you see differences in regards to aging in a rural, regional area as opposed to those who are living in the city?
1: Yes. Take the Barossa, for instance. It is a community. And when something in the community needs to happen, people come together. And it is easier because it's a smaller world and everybody's involved, whether they have children or grandchildren at a school or sporting, people do look out for each other. But I also see it happening in cities, in suburbs. I mean, there's this great opportunity where in suburban life, If there is a champion within a street that they can pull people together, we're seeing it happen. We're seeing writers, Trent Dalton, who writes for The Australian and writes about suburbia and neighbours, and there has to be a protagonist. There has to be someone who steps outside of their comfort zone. It can happen in urban areas too, but it's easy in the country, easier in the
0: country. You know, that, that sense of community is, is so important. I'd like to talk about the work of the Maggie Beer Foundation, which I believe you established it some years ago now, Maggie, to, and it's really about enhancing the food experience for older Aussies, especially people living in, in aged care homes. Can you describe for us the work of the foundation? And then also want to to learn about how people can support its work.
1: Okay, well... The whole concept of the foundation was to raise the standard of food in aged care, to give wellness through food that has not only nutrition that it's absolutely needed, but pleasure. Nutrition and pleasure equals wellness. And that was the centre of the idea, but, of course, to have that There's so many parts that are necessary, and that is getting the whole of the fabric of an aged care home involved to understand that it's going to make the most enormous difference to everyone in their care. But the foundation, it's about advocacy and education, because you can't make a change unless. You can bring other people around you to help that change and you can't make a change without the education of cooks and chefs who often have not had much support in budget, in management, understanding just how important it is and the skill that is needed as aged care has evolved to so much high care, people coming into aged care later so the complexities of diet are so huge and yet there is so little education of the specifics of this really complex arena but the difference that it can make so we do masterclasses for Five years now we've been doing masterclasses, only two or three a year, where we bring 30 cooks and chefs together for several days and cook with them and bring into their orbit all of the resources that they can use in terms of ideas and skill. And then we bring CEOs together and really advocate on behalf of the cooks and chefs often that these are the people that can make the difference and they must be Respected and given the kudos and the skill and support.
0: Now, listeners and and followers of Booming will be disappointed if I don't ask Maggie Beer for a a simple tip when it comes to food. Is there a specific cooking tip you could give us all?
1: Well, something I I made last week and uh, if there's one thing I love to do is make a recipe or a a dish so accessible and quick to make and full of flavour and goodness. And so... Couscous is one of those great boxes of something to have in your pantry. I always have couscous, I always have almonds in the fridge, and I always have raisins. And right at the moment, roast pumpkin is is just um, in its – now it's autumn going into winter. This is when pumpkin is at its best. I also always have chicken stock. Now, I have chicken stock in the freezer, but I also, we have chicken stock that we make naturally with Maggi beer products. So it's always there. So couscous is made in about seven minutes. And if you boil, uh, bring to a simmer your stock, just make sure if you're buying your stock, buy one with natural ingredients, no preservatives and no salt or very little salt. And instead of pouring water over couscous, you pour the hot stock over couscous, and then with the pumpkin you've already cut it and pre-roasted it, tossed in some extra virgin olive oil and rosemary from the garden till it's really, really burnished and cooked. And then you add it to the couscous with some raisins or sultanas or currants that you've reconstituted and lots of flat leaf parsley from your garden. Roast your almonds at the same time as your pumpkin and just toss it all together with some extra virgin olive oil. And for me, it's verjuice but you, it could be a good squeeze of lemon. And you have something that, other than the roasting of the pumpkin, which does take 20 minutes, you've got a meal that at the most takes about, if you've pre-roasted your pumpkin and your almonds, seven minutes to make and it's full of you've got your protein from the almonds from the chicken stock you've got your fresh parsley your antioxidants fresh parsley gives such a bang of antioxidant you've got your sweetness from the raisins it's just the kind of dish that is beautiful
0: (laughs) you can hear the passion in your voice, Maggie, when you're describing that. And you'll never guess what I had for dinner last night at home. We had couscous, and I'm looking forward to the leftovers for lunch today, so that's (laughs) amazingly coincidental. Now, I've got some standard questions for quick responses that we share with or we ask each of our um, guests to respond to. So if you don't mind, I'll I'll run through these with you, Maggie. Okay. Um, The first one is, what concerns you about ageing?
1: Oh, (laughs) The stiffness some
0: mornings. (laughs) (laughs) What gives you confidence about ageing?
1: Oh, loving every day. Yeah.
0: What would you tell the 50-year-old you?
1: Life gets better.
0: (laughs) I love it. And what older person has inspired you and why did they?
1: Oh, my mum, my mum, even though she didn't live to a great age sixty seven but her ability to find something good in everyday in life
0: wonderful Maggie, is there anything else you'd like to cover in our discussion?
1: Um, uh, the only other thing is what music does for your life as well as food i I think how lucky I am that this love of music has been all my life, but it just transcends me through when something truly sad happens music can help when something joyful happens um, uh, music is a constant Uh, the love of music is is something that I could not live without
0: absolutely and and I think it's important for us to remember we don't need to have musical talent to derive that benefit and pleasure from music.
1: No, no, just the, the love of it. The love of it just um, fills your soul.
0: <laughs> absolutely. So, Maggie, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you for sharing your passion and your wisdom. We very much appreciate it. And I'm sure uh, listeners of, of Booming have absolutely loved hearing from you today. So thank you very much.
1: Pleasure, Marcus. It's a good subject.
0: Some wonderful lessons from Maggie about the value of positivity and maintaining purpose, best done by really engaging with your passions. Maggie also mentioned her foundation. If you'd like to know more about this work, please go to their website, maggiebeerfoundation.org.au. Thank you again for listening to Booming the Podcast. For more content, please go to our website, booming.net.au. Get in touch with us at the Booming Facebook page and Booming Instagram. As well, you can email us info at booming.net.au. We'd love to hear your questions or your inspiring stories, topics you'd like to hear about or people you'd like us to interview. It'd be great if you subscribe to the podcast, let your friends know about it and stay connected with us. Thanks for listening and happy booming.